So I want to take a moment now to thank the Digital Hub because they are the main sponsors for this season of InspireFest, the podcast. The Digital Hub is in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin City. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies. But it's more than just an office. Hi, my name is Diego Solorzano. I'm the CEO of Square One. We are a web and mobile application development company and we specialize in solutions for publishers and high traffic sites. It's great for us to be in the digital hub because of the networking opportunities and the way that there are so many companies in our industry and also potential clients and potential partners that we can work with. You can find out more about Diego and lots of other innovators at thedigitalhub.com. Now, back to the show. Hi everyone and welcome back to InspireFest the podcast. This is episode seven and we're going to talk about microfinance now. So we're going to meet an entrepreneur called Matt Flannery. He's the co-founder of two companies, Kiva and Branch. He developed the first company, Kiva, in late 2004 as a platform where people could make small investments into entrepreneurs, maybe who just needed, you know, a small amount, maybe a, a, a few hundred dollars to get their business going and it it became a way to empower people particularly in areas of high poverty so that they could start a business. Matt was CEO at Kiva for about a decade and they ended up lending more than $700 million to low-income entrepreneurs. And more recently, Matt has started an initiative called Branch International, which is basically branchless banks in sub-Saharan Africa. It was launched in 2015 and since then it has made nearly a million loans in Tanzania and Kenya. He's an Ashoka fellow, if you're familiar with Ashoka, which is a, you know, a, a global organization to support social enterprises and uh, he was included in Fortune magazine's top 40 under 40 list in 2009. We caught him just as he came off the InspireFest stage and uh, we asked him about what he does. My name is Matthew Flannery. I'm the co-founder of Branch and Kiva.org. Tell us a little bit about how you became an entrepreneur. All right. Well, uh, I think um, I tried my hand at having a real job out of college, and I learned that I wasn't very good at that. So um, I think I have a bit of a rebellious streak and a bit of, um, you know, it's hard for me to accept authority, uh, at least at that point in my life right out of college. Um, I was having difficult difficulty keeping a job and I always wanted to be an entrepreneur um, and I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. Um, I was traveling a lot and found myself in East Africa um, and I ended up volunteering for a friend who had an NGO doing microfinance in Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania and I volunteered to make a movie about it and was just doing impact analysis and filming these stories of entrepreneurs 
in those countries for a few months and just fell in love with the entrepreneurial spirit of people out there and uh, what I saw as a lot of opportunity to help others because basically in that part of the world at that time at least just a few hundred dollars was separating people from their big dreams and that's kind of an irresistible proposition to be able to help somebody achieve their dreams just with $300 or something like that. So I went on a long journey and found myself volunteering in Uganda and basically was uh, as a person that wanted to be an entrepreneur at the time, really inspired and enjoyed meeting other entrepreneurs in that part of the world. Uh, as you guys can understand, uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa there's a lot of individual small businesses, uh, everyone works for themselves, it has some side job, side hustle, um, buying and selling stuff with dreams and strategies and I enjoyed that. I, I thought. Um, I was getting into uh, you know, a situation where I was going to see a lot of sadness and uh, poverty and starvation and I saw those things but mostly I enjoyed um, connecting with other people like me who had dreams and I, coming from America, I had some opportunity to like, help them think about how to raise money for that. So um, I remember I met this woman, Petronilla, in Uganda, like in a village, and she just wanted to raise money to expand her store. She was selling time cards for phones uh, in a small place outside of you know, a city in Uganda, and um, she needed access to finance to buy more so she could sell more, because otherwise she would be sold out and people would not go to her store to buy them. And she was also um, a single mom, uh, struggling to send her kids to school and needing the profits of this to do that. And I just thought, well, you know, she needs a $300 loan. Um, it's very obvious that she can sell the inventory that she buys with that with that loan, why can't she do that? Because certainly we could all raise $300 if we had you know, access to the internet and if you could pay back a loan, um, even at a minor interest rate, that seems like, why, why shouldn't that happen? Why is there this lack of capital in these rural places all around the world? Basically, um, I was also a computer scientist at that time working for uh, TiVo, like a DVR company, um, but taking some time off from that, but I had a lot of programming skills, and so I built my first web application, called it kiva.org, uh, essentially um, what became a crowdfunding site for entrepreneurs in, in those countries, and then now all over the world to, uh, with the help of a local NGO, post a profile, a business plan, and a picture on the w internet, and raise money from the crowd. Um, in the form of debt capital, 0% interest debt capital, um, to fund their business ideas. And I didn't know if it would work, but I convinced myself and I had the guts and time to just see if it would work. And, and what was a side project for um, a, a year or two eventually became a nonprofit. And then Kiva's now, you know, 12 years old. I was the CEO for 10 years and we just surpassed a billion dollars in loans um, to people in East Africa, but also West Africa, South Africa, and then all over the globe in Southeast Asia and Latin America. And so it works in about 80 countries now. Um, after being a CEO for 10 years, I had a similar phase where I was restless and not feeling completely um, like I was satisfied in a job as a, as a manager of a larger company. Uh, so I wanted to start over again, and I saw a new opportunity by working in mobile banking, um, once again in East Africa. So I started a, a branchless bank in Kenya um, called Branch. 
uh, which now works in Tanzania, also in Nigeria and Kenya. So it's just like two years old and we work in three countries so far. I love that you call the branchless bank branch. That's yeah. brilliant. And <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of, of, of let, let's talk about Kiva just for a minute. If, if I were someone who wanted to sort of, you know, uh, engage with the Kiva platform, how would I do it as someone who could invest in somebody in East Africa? Yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, we tried, we worked really hard to make it simple. So uh, you can go to kiva.org and pick a topic. Like if you want to lend to a woman entrepreneur, pick a part of the world. Like if you want to lend to someone in Africa or Cambodia or a country, um, whittle down a lot of criteria and you'll, you'll see a lot of people with business plans and stories and you can lend as little as $25 um, to somebody and uh, almost always you get paid back within six to 12 months. And is there anything uh, from the 10 years when you were CEO, uh, you know, what was the proudest moment in that 10 years? Any standouts for you? Mm. I would say that um, a couple things. So first of all, just starting it was um, a really proud moment. It kind of changed my worldview. Um, I was very skeptical that it would work, but secretly hopeful. And so uh, that first weekend when we raised you know, $3,000 from family and friends on the internet, um, that really, really blew me away. And I don't know if I've ever had such a, like a single moment in my life that changed my perspective on others and generosity and the power of um, stories and uh, inspiring people and how that was possible through the internet um, really like changed my worldview about what I could do with my life. Because um, I, I think I was a little bit um, pessimistic about human nature and I became a lot less pessimistic um, in, a, in a few brief moments just seeing the power of that. And then since then I've just had the opportunity to see similar stories all over the world and work with entrepreneurs and realize the commonality in humans uh, across culture which has just been a completely uplifting experience. And in terms of branch, so this is a, a, a bank that doesn't need bricks and mortar branches, doesn't need the infrastructure. Why does that suit developing countries so well? Right, because there are a lot of problems of distribution. Uh, so in microfinance, um, Kiva works with microfinance institutions all over the world, but they're all quite constrained regionally because you know we work in some hard to reach places where um, it's not easy to drive across a country to reach more people and so these uh, small banks have difficulty scaling and then also um, they require so much paperwork and bureaucracy because they don't have access to new technology and they don't have engineering talent and they don't have backgrounds in computer science so I felt like with my unique background you know I have a few things that make pretty peculiar about my life I've spent a lot of time in East Africa also live in Silicon Valley can raise money for venture capitalists I'm an engineer, know a lot of great computer scientists, but also have a lot of empathy for um, people that live in these hard-to-reach cities and hard-to-reach places. So um, there's not a lot of people that fit that background, so I felt like I had this unique perspective to, to bridge the gap and combine sort of ability to fundraise and access to finance and access to um, computer science with empathy for a customer that really needs and wants this product. You know, someone in Ireland or someone in San Francisco might not realize. Uh, why it's so valuable because the mindset of an East African entrepreneur is quite different than the mindset of a you know Silicon Valley Silicon Republic uh, entrepreneur um, just because of the background and the resources we've had access to are so different. Can you describe to me the kinds of customers that you have now? Yeah. Branch is a branchless bank in three countries um, Lagos so we have an office in Lagos Nigeria and Nairobi Kenya and we also work in Tanzania um, we're reaching right now um, 
what I would call the urban emerging middle class of sub-Saharan Africa. So there's all sorts of folks moving to cities, having um, urban jobs, mostly buying and selling stuff, um, and really becoming part of the global middle class, having access to the internet and smartphones. Um, and so they, they have an appetite in, uh, for commercial modern financial services like we have in the Western world, but really there's no um, credit scoring and no credit bureaus, and also there's no point of sale terminals or um, credit card infrastructure to, to swipe a piece of plastic at a store, grocery store, restaurant, whatever. Um, at the same time, there's this weird phenomenon of people having use of digital money. Um, so these, the same class of people transacts digitally every day through uh, mobile money, through their telecoms. So in East Africa, any two people can send money to each other through the telecom, send like $5, and it's, it's very common. And so people are paying digitally for stuff. Um, and then in West Africa, they often have uh, peculiar, they have banks. So it's a very banked population. But there's no plastic to swipe in a lot of these locations and then no credit being served over these digital rails. And so when you introduce even a small amount of credit, like $2, the appetite for that is very, very um, insatiable. So that's what we're seeing. So I feel like uh, Americans have done some things well in business that uh, can be shared with Africans and vice versa. But some of the things that um, the American business culture has done well, I believe, is innovate. So we can, we can move very fast and we can introduce new services and improve the customer experience very fast. Um, so we like to take that attitude to a part of the world, you know, speaking about Lagos and Nairobi and Dar es Salaam, uh, where that's not the norm. Um, also, we have a culture of great customer service. Like consumers in the U.S. generally demand amazing customer service, and that's become a norm with internet startups, at least. So I took a, like a piece of the Zappos playbook and just infused the culture from day one with this ethic of like incredible customer service, right? So we answer every message within minutes. So if you wrote up, if you pull up our app, downloaded it, and write it, write somebody right now. Uh, during this podcast, you'd probably get a response. And it's pretty fun to, to test it. I do that in meetings all the time. And I do customer service and everyone does it. And so just uh, creating a culture where we have a passion for making our users happy, even if it's not totally rational, like we probably don't need to have that great customer service. Like users would use this anyway. We're still better than the competition. But having that irrational passion for it, it pays off in a lot of indirect ways through the culture, right? Um, it's fun. People love it. So that's great. Um, I've also, so I had a lot of experience at Kiva working remotely. And so um, the way I've set up this company is to empower leaders in the various offices internationally to be sort of like the CEO of their lending company and run it, um, their day-to-day -day operations rather autonomously. And then in San Francisco, um, we just make technology. So we're like the engineering, like a software startup in San Francisco, and then we have these lending companies around the world that use our software. And that allows for a lot of agility. So when I sleep, I don't get phone calls from people asking for direction. Um, I ch just try to remind people that they're free to make the decisions and give high-level vision, high-level guidance, high-level goals without um, a lot of micromanagement. And I think as a founder, it can be tempting to be very micromanagerial. Uh, but maybe I'm a little bit over that.
because that was my second company. So I've decided to be, um, I don't know, a lot less micromanagerial this time around. One of the things we're asking everybody is yeah. what they, they see as the, the risks and opportunities in their sector. So maybe we can start, you know, Great. what kind of risks do you Auto see risks. now? In, yeah. <laughs> okay, in, in, in the kind of financial models that you're offering. Okay, yeah, uh, definitely um, somebody that's taken on a lot of risk and experienced a lot, a lot of risk walking a tightrope of risk every day. Um, the kinds of risks we've been seeing, first of all, are um, there's so, there's no risk about getting users. There's no risk in issuing modern credits in the developing world. There's no risk of um, not being able to get customers. Everyone wants it, right? The big risk is not getting fleeced. So um, most people are good, most people are honest, but a small percentage of coordinated fraudsters can take down entire businesses. And without the infrastructure of a credit bureau um, or a legal infrastructure to prosecute theft, a company has to take on all their, that risk themselves. And so it's a big exercise in using machine learning, artificial intelligence, to fight fraud. Because you can't do it one person at a time, and it's not cost-effective to do it for such small amounts. But you're vulnerable to maybe a small group of people being very coordinated to pretend to be lots of people and steal lots of money. And um, that's a kind of attack that I've experienced many times in my life. Uh, so one of the big ahas of this business is, um, okay, now that there's, there's all this great machine learning um, techniques and there's this community around artificial intelligence developing around the world, you can sort of um, use all this latest thinking to combat fraudsters um, almost in an automated way and it can really work. And so um, a financial institution like ours can enter um, countries that haven't necessarily been served in modern ways because um, the customers are creating a lot of digital fingerprints they're using a lot of websites, they're using um, a lot of services that kick off digital um, data streams, essentially. And as an institution, you can use those data streams to detect fraud and fight fraud and also do underwriting. Great. So it's a big data approach. And what about opportunities in online banking? Okay, opportunities, well, um, you know, to acquire a customer at an online bank or a credit card company or a fintech company in the America or in the in Europe, um, it's probably upwards of a thousand dollars per user, um, depending on the product to get a new user. Um, in Sub-Saharan Africa, if you advertise online for a, a fintech company, you can get a user for less than a dollar. Like the advertising costs are very small, like fifty cents. And so the opportunity is you can sign up millions of people. Like our our app just per surpassed a million downloads in a year. So, and. Um, for those downloads are paying nearly nothing. So the opportunity is there's a huge desire for it. And it's also very fun to serve people who really want it. And you're actually becoming a utility in their life and serving their daily needs to like buy food or do like basic things. It feels really gratifying to help someone like actually, you know, change their day because you're able, able to help them financially. Um, so it's more rewarding and it's, um, it's fun to have a company with such product market fit. Um, whereas in the U.S., if you're issuing like the next fintech loan or the next credit card, it's like I said, a thousand dollars to get a user, and it doesn't really feel that rewarding because you're probably serving somebody who you're just incrementally better than the competition, you know. And so you have to defend your your value proposition. Whereas, you know, in most of the southern hemisphere countries, it's obvious why people want it. Yeah.
Brilliant. Thank you, Matthew Flannery, so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So that was Matt Flannery, and I really enjoyed hearing from Matt about how you can use technology to enable and empower people in a way that, you know, it might not be immediately obvious to us in, you know, if you live in a place which has an infrastructure for investments and loans and everything. But, you know, Matt saw a way of doing this in a really empowering way, and he's helped a lot of people. So on the next episode of InspireFest, the podcast, we're going to be looking at science and communication and even comedy as a way to communicate science. We'll be meeting Dr. Neve Shaw and we'll be meeting Dr. Jessamine Fairfield and uh, we're sure to have a few laughs along the way. So make sure you join us on the next episode. Make sure you listen back to any episodes you've missed and please do spread the word about InspireFest, the podcast. Meanwhile, thanks a million for your attention. Uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. If you want to find out more about InspireFest, be sure to check out InspireFest.com. This episode was produced by Bureau. I've been Claire O'Connell. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, folks, that InspireFest 2018 is on June the 21st and 22nd in the Borgot Energy Theatre in Dublin. So do go along to InspireFest.com and check out the speakers, book your tickets and come along because you won't regret a minute of it. There are not only the super speakers on stage, but also wonderful people go to InspireFest and there's a lot of events and it's a huge amount of fun. So come along. It's just great to hear about all these projects that um, and all these people that believe in STEAM and understand that everything doesn't exist in silos and the incredible projects that can happen when creativity is embraced as part of tech and science.